We are helping owners create cash flow and pay down their mortgage, while our guests feel like a millionaire for the time that they stay with us. It's no secret that focusing on others' outcome ultimately leads to more income for you and your company. Welcome to the Good Endeavor Short-Term Rental Show. This is Mark with the Good Endeavor Short-Term Rental Show. I'm super excited today to welcome Grant Doherty of Doherty Tax Solutions. Uh, Grant and I actually synced up on Instagram. I've been following his content for quite a while. So have about 73,000 other people. And so I'm super excited today to welcome Grant Doherty. Grant, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks, Mark. Thanks for having me, man. For sure. Man, I have been following your stuff and finally got the guts up to reach out and ask you if you'd be on the show. Um, but it's been super valuable. You put out stuff every single day and it looks like a lot of other people find value in it too. Getting into the tax profession, can you kind of tell us a little bit about who you are, kind of where you're from, what your family looks like, um, yeah. how you got into this profession? Yeah, man. So, um, you know, my name is Grant Doherty. I am from Houston, Texas. Uh, I actually went to school at Prairie View A and M University. I actually I played baseball there. I went there uh, and, and and I was a I played baseball there for four years. And while I was there, I uh, studied. I, I got a uh, a degree in business management and a minor in uh, finance and accounting. So that's essentially how I got into the the business world. Now, whenever I chose those. Uh, majors or minors whenever I was initially going into school, I did not think that I was going to end up doing taxes, right? It was just something that I heard I could make good money in. Let me just go ahead and get an education while I'm playing sports. It wasn't until after I graduated and I, I then got licensed to do taxes and I actually started to take the skills that I learned in school and now it actually applied to my real life. Like, okay, now I actually have to file a tax return. Now I have to know what a 401k is. That's when it finally clicked. And, um, you know, I started my business. It started off very small. I started it in early 2020 um, and it just slowly grew from there. I had been in the industry. Uh, I had worked at a, a company called Cisco uh, in their finance and tax department. So I had gotten a little bit of background on more of the corporate side of how things worked. Cisco, um, Cisco? And, uh, no, 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 Cisco Food. Okay, Cisco Food. Yeah, it's a, it's a food distribution company. Yeah. It's actually the yeah. largest food distribution company. S-Y-S-C-O. Yeah. But you see, what I learned at, at you know, the big corporate uh, offices is your job is very narrowly focused. Right. So maybe there's there's an entire picture of the entire system that's going on. But whenever you learn things in like corporate finance and corporate tax, it's very narrow and it's very specific to one situation. And so I started to, that's when I actually got licensed whenever I was still working there. And that's when I uh, started off very small, taking on a few clients, you know, very simple tax returns. And the more that I did it, the more that I started to study on more. I uh, took on a mentor. I started working with different mentors who then uh, helped me learn more advanced tax strategies and essentially how to actually file that on a, on a return. And next thing you know, uh, my business grew. I started putting content out on uh, social media and that's essentially how my business started to grow more and more. And now uh, I service, uh, currently I work with uh, over a hundred people year round on different tax strategies. Uh, and then I have worked with a few more during tax season whenever they just need their taxes filed. That's awesome, man. So kind of, kind of early on or during college, you found out like, I love business and I'm really good with numbers. 
like this is going to be my value to the world. Right. Right. I like to make money and I like to make more money. I like to learn to you. Once when I learned that you could make money and then take that money to make you more money, I, I was completely sold on the system. I love that. And so it sounds like you're the light at the end of the tunnel for you and correct me if I'm wrong, might just be to help as many people understand that as, as possible. Like is what kind of drives you? Is that, is that fairly stated? Yeah. So, um, you know, I love to educate people and I find it actually, it's one of my uh, better skills, right? And I, I can, I can uh, take a, a complex situation and break it down into a very basic understanding to where anyone can understand it. And that's essentially how my business is operated is most of the people who I work with. Uh, yeah, they work with me because I understand how to file their tax returns and understand how to implement these strategies correctly. But I also educate them to the point to where they now have the same knowledge that I have on the same topic. Now, maybe that there's like a one off case situation where, OK, you know, I, I don't, I don't know. Hey, is driving, you know, count for material participation, right? They would maybe may come to me asking me a very specific question like that. But in general, most of the strategies that that we would implement, they have a very good understanding of, and they know what to look for on a day to day basis. You actually bring up a good point when you when you mention material participation. Um, in this industry, the short term rental industry, a lot of folks may have gotten into this for tax reasons alone. Can you right. touch on that? Like what are some of the tax benefits or what are the major tax benefits of owning short-term rental property? Oh man. So uh, before I get into that, we should probably back up a little bit and just okay. cover like general real estate. You know, real estate itself has a lot of tax incentives to, you know, for people to invest in. Probably if I had to take a guess, there's probably more tax incentives for real estate than any other asset in the tax code, right? Um, and one of those is actually that uh, the income is passive, right? So passive income is really strategic because it's not subject to some of your active taxes like Social Security and Medicare. So if you take someone with 100K of passive rental income and take someone with 100K of, you know, maybe a W-2 income or maybe 100K of of business income, and this is income after all expenses accounted for, right? Just strictly profit. The 100K of passive rental income will be taxed far less than the 100K of this other earned income. Now, the, the, the caveat to that, though, is that there are passive activity loss limitations. So usually whenever you have rental activities, if you generate a loss through things like accelerated depreciation, cost segregation analysis, something like that, the loss is going to be passive. And unless you have income or it's it's actually modified adjusted gross income that's less than $150,000 per year, you cannot use any passive losses to offset your income. And that's where the workaround kind of comes into play with the short-term rentals is that the hurdles that you can jump in order to essentially treat it as a non-passive activity are, are less stringent. So Normally, whenever you have a a long-term rental, any rental activity, uh, it is considered a passive activity. And if you want to treat it as non-passive, you have to qualify as a real estate professional, and then you have to meet material participation in that property. The workaround with the short-term rentals is that if you have a property where the average tenant stays for seven days or less, 
under under section 469 of the of the of the uh, IRC Internal Revenue Code, uh, the IRS says that you do not actually have a quote unquote rental activity, and because of that, you no longer have to qualify for real estate professional status. You would only have to meet material participation in your short term rental to treat it as a non passive activity. And then when if you can treat it as a non-passive activity, then if you run a loss through things like accelerated depreciation or cost segregation, that can then offset your other business income, your other active income. It's now an, a non-passive loss that can offset other non-passive income. So that's the big tax incentive that people look for whenever they, you know, whenever they decide to invest in short-term rentals. Uh, so yeah, no, I, I've seen uh, some some pretty big uh, tax savings through people. Now there's a lot of meticulous record keeping that you have to keep, right? Because if you go into a strategy like this, anytime you are taking a large loss against your income, that's an automatic eye opener to anyone at the IRS, right? Now they do understand that there is bonus depreciation and that they understand how rentals work, right? But what if they were to audit you, you would have to definitely the burden of proof is on the is on the taxpayer to validate essentially what they claim on their tax return. So you have to show that the average tenant stayed for seven days or less. You have to show with meticulous and contemporaneous time logs that you did meet material participation. There are seven tests to material participation. You only have to meet one of them, but your time log must match up with whichever test you are claiming. And there's a lot more, you know, in-depth strategies that I could talk about, but uh, definitely record keeping is probably number one thing that I would say whenever it comes to implementing any type of strategy, business owners, real estate investors, keep good records. And if you're going to implement a strategy like this, keep even more meticulous records. Yeah. Tell me a little bit more about that. From what I understand, if you have a single property, you have a minimum hour threshold that you need to meet. But if you have multiple properties and we're talking about short-term rentals, then there's a you know, you can do it with, I think it's 500 hours. Is that, is that correct? Yeah. So, so there, I think you're talking about the seven uh, material participation yeah. tests. So there's seven of them, but three of them are going to be more commonly used than others because the other seven are going to like involve like previous years of material participation and like different, different like caveats like that. But the three most common is that there's the 500 hour rule. It's, it's going to be considered, I've heard it called the golden rule before or the, 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 the golden mark, because if you meet 500 hours of material participation, you don't have to track necessarily anyone else's time because you met the 500 hours you materially participated. Now, there are other, uh, the other two tests kind of involve you, they, they require you to track and keep more documentation because not only do you have to track your time, but you would have to track anyone else's time that essentially worked on the property. So the first test is uh, the 500 hour test. The second test is substantially all uh, tests. And that's essentially that you provide, you perform substantially all of the participation. Now, usually that means you cannot have anyone else working on the property. So again, you're going to have to just make sure that you document it. And if you do have anyone else that worked on the property any cleaners, that essentially throws out that test, which then brings up test number three, which is the more than 100 hour test. And that's essentially you have to meet more than 100 hours of material participation. So 101 is the bare minimum. I always tell people, you know, 
make sure that, you know, if 101 is the minimum, your goal should be 150, 200 hours, uh, you know, just, just to be safe. Yeah. Also track your hours and minutes, you know, uh, track your time in minutes because people have a tendency if they track it in hours, they're going to round up. And uh, the IRS does not accept estimates. They want very precise uh, record keeping. So track your time in minutes. You can track your time through an app called Reps Tracker. Uh, you know, I, I highly recommend Reps Tracker. Uh, Clockify is also a good, um, you know, time tracking app. So you can just, you know, track your time that way and track it in minutes. You know, that way it's a little bit more precise, more realistic, right? And essentially, if you just meet one of those three tests, then you qualify to treat your activity as a non-passive activity if it's a short-term rental. That's great advice. So historically, like I've done this and um, traditionally, it's usually like 30% of the property value is is depreciable. And so real life example, you know, say it's a million dollar property, the land is worth 100,000, but real life example, you know, $300,000 of that could potentially be bonus depreciable in year one. That was last year. Now the rules have changed, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so like the way how it works is that uh, anything with a depreciable life of 20 years or less qualifies for bonus depreciation. And whenever you acquire a rental property, you know, any, any property, and it depends on what type of property. Sometimes you acquire it with furniture. Sometimes you don't, but you're going to, if you acquire a, a house, you know, it, it probably comes with a driveway. It probably comes with a patio. Uh, it comes with an oven, microwaves. There's all sorts of different things that kind of come with the overall purchase of the house that are not part of the, the, the structure of it. And those qualify for bonus depreciation, which is 80% this year. In 2022, it was 100%. And actually they have, uh, there have been some talks in, uh, up in, up in DC, up in Washington of them trying to bring back 100% bonus depreciation, which would be really huge for a lot of real estate investors um, because you, know, you, can, you can spend more capital, get that money injected back into these other small businesses that are selling these different, uh, you know, for these different businesses that are supporting the, these transactions and stuff like mm-hmm. that. But, uh, you know, we'll, we'll see about it. You know, we'll see how right now it is currently 80%. Next year it goes down to 60% and it slowly decreases after that until I believe in 2027 it's completely gone. Yeah. I tell folks a lot, like I'm not a tax expert like you are, but I, I've lived, I've lived this 100% bonus depreciation for the past couple of years. And the great thing about it is like I can buy a property and almost get that amount of money back that I put down as the down payment, depending on what the income year looks like. Mm-hmm. So it's almost like you can, you can keep buying properties with bonus depreciation money, you know, on your tax returns, which is, an incredible, incredible strategy. You know, a lot of folks talk about, you know, rehabbing and then refinancing. That's really hard in a high interest rate environment. Um, But this still works. Um, The downside is you don't want to sell that property anytime soon because the recapture, right? Like, tell us a little bit about that. What, What is that? What does recapture mean? That, that's a that's a really good point. So it, I always like to say with any type of pro that you would get with any type of tax strategy in the tax code, there's almost always going to be some type of con. And the con to taking bonus depreciation is going to be that depreciation recapture. And essentially what it says is that 
Um, whenever you claim depreciation on an asset, the government is essentially saying, here, you can get the tax benefit now, but we want this back whenever you essentially sell it and you make more money or whatever the case may be. And that's what uh, depreciation recapture is. And it's taxed as ordinary income uh, capping at 25%. So you have to be very, very aware of that. Usually the general rule of thumb is that you don't want to do like a cost seg on a property unless you're going to hold it for a minimum of like five years is generally like the rule of thumb because of that, of that depreciation recapture. So definitely need to be very wary of something like that. I guess the other, the other thing you could do is 1031 exchange into something more valuable. But the downside to that is if you're 1031 exchanging into something more valuable, then the actual bonus depreciation on the more valuable item would have been more, right? Yeah, so that's another really good point. So 1031 exchange uh, is a great way for a real estate investor to essentially sell a, a, a rental property, use the proceeds from that property to acquire another property, and they can avoid some of the capital gains on that on that uh, purchase, essentially. They can, they can defer them down to a, uh, to a later date. Now, yeah, you do have to acquire a more valuable property because if you don't acquire a property that's at least uh you know equal or greater in value then you will have to pay some of that capital gains tax um uh but now the the drawback to the 1031 it it comes into that cost basis so your cost basis is what your depreciation is, is essentially based off of and whenever you have a property, you're claiming depreciation, the depre- uh, your, your cost basis essentially shrinks. So you have this one property that maybe you claim some bonus depreciation on and you've held it for a few years. Well, that cost basis has slowly shrunk. And whenever you do the 1031 exchange, the government says, okay, you can defer paying this capital gains tax, but your cost basis must transfer over to the new property. Now, if you get a more valuable property, Whatever the fair market value of what you sold the property was, whatever excess you paid for, you do get a bump up in that cost basis, right? So that'll bump up, you know, whatever that excess is, it bumps up your cost basis. But essentially, whatever your really depreciated cost basis was, it transfers over to your new property. So, yeah, you know, you don't get as much of a depreciation deduction or even like a bonus depreciation benefit whenever you 1031 into a new property. Yeah, Man, this is this is great stuff. I like to tell everybody, like real estate, and specifically short term rental real estate, like it's really good four legged stool. Like you get great depreciation, you get appreciation, you get principal pay down, and you get cash flow. Mm-hmm. Now it sounds great on the surface, but each one of those things requires analyzing and getting professionals like you on your team. Like every single one of those benefits. To maximize those benefits, you're going to need professionals like yourself. I'm sure you get this question all the time. Like, give me advice. Like, what what kind of property do I want to get? And, um, you know, is short-term rental industry right for me? Do I get a manager or do I manage it myself? Because if you if you if you get one, like I guess if you get this narrow focus, like, man, I got to get this property for bonus depreciation, and then you start getting phone calls at 7 p.m. on Friday night, and then you try to sell it. Like you can end up in a bad spot. So tell tell me a little bit about like some of the clients that come to you. Like, are you more consultative or how do you how do you work with folks? Yeah. So, so I have a lot of small business owners and real estate investors that come to me. I would say probably 
I would say it probably leans more towards the real estate side. I do work with a, a lot of real estate investors, but I do do still have that pretty large base of like small business owners. Uh, whenever I say small business owners, most of them fall under like the million dollar revenue mark a year. Like that's generally where I, I have a few that go over the million, but most of them are going to be uh, making less than a million. And uh, yeah, man. So and what I always tell people, you know, because you brought up a really good point, right? It's it's one thing to, okay, yeah, I'm going to get this property. I'm going to bonus appreciate. I'm going to get all these tax incentives. But there's so much more that goes into it, right? You know, I always tell people, don't let the tax tail wag the economic dog. Number one, you got to make sure it's going to be at least a good property. Uh, number two, what are your goals? Are your goals to uh create more passive income like you want to receive a check and you don't really have to do much maybe you have to talk with the property manager but mm-hmm. um tenants can be a nightmare like they, you know there's all sorts of nightmare stories out there and i can be i can even tell you one that's a little bit more unrelated but uh what are your goals you know and, and in fact actually I, I'll, I'll tie it in you know know where you're investing right you know understand you know Okay, am I investing? Am I trying to get into a short-term rental in an area that has been opposed to short-term rentals? Are they trying to ban them? In Dallas, you know, just recently, just banned short-term rentals in residential neighborhoods. Uh, the little suburb that I live in currently has restrictions on short. There's that's probably one of the biggest uh, threats to a, you know to getting a short-term rental is that they just say, you know what? Now we're tired of that. We're not allowing that anymore. Now your entire investment plan has kind of like sunken. Uh, and, you know, understand where you're investing. And it, actually, I'm not going to talk about that story. I, I will probably just bring it back around because I don't want to like make people feel like drag, but there was a client, um, that, I, that I, all right. So it's actually not my client. It is one of my buddy's clients. And he, he, he was like, told me all about it. But basically during COVID, the, uh, you know, everything shut down and there was these renter protections and I get it right. You know, Whenever you have like a, a disaster like that, people aren't making money. Yeah, you, you know, people who aren't making money, you can't just kick them out of their house. Like, I get it. But whenever you have anyone, you give someone, some people, if you give them an inch, they'll take a mile, right? And okay, if I don't have to pay any rent in 2020, I'm not going to pay any in 2021. I'm not going to pay any in 2022. So then when the, the person who owned the property decided to uh, now evict this tenant in 2023, uh, they took them to court and the tenant essentially not only did they win, not have to pay rent for 2023, uh, but they then also countersued and they had to pay damages for the emotional trauma that they had to go through. Right. And this is they're not paying rent, you know, so understand where you're investing because you have no idea what the local laws, what they'll do to protect landlords. Right. And And, and I get it. You know, th- th- there's laws on both sides to make sure that that is an e- is an even playing field, right? The landlord should be responsible to make you know good living conditions for the tenants, but at the same time, if the landlord can't make any money to pay for it, you know, you want to make sure that the local laws around that do support you being a landlord there. So yeah. I'll just I'll just leave it at that. I won't mention where this where this actually. No, happens. that's man. That is really good because I find that people get into this and they do let the tail wag the dog a little bit from a tax standpoint. And so because you can't get into the short term rental industry and not manage yourself and meet the thresholds for the bonus depreciation. If you get in and you hire a manager, you're not going to meet the threshold. So unless you have a heart for hospitality, unless you plan on putting in the work and and answering those messages 
I tell people all the time, like right when you want to spend the most time with your friends and family, that's when people need you the most. They're not going to call you on Wednesday afternoon. So before you like go and try to take all these, these tax savings, make sure you're, you're, you're cut out for this. It's, it's like the IRS views this as a hospitality business and there's real estate on the side. Yeah, no, 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 definitely. Um, you know, again, a lot of tax incentives for it, but like you said, there's, there's so much more that goes into it than just the tax burdens. Man, this has been super educational. And um, I encourage anybody out there, if, if you just want to learn more about taxes, follow Grant on either Twitter or Instagram. Um, Grant, tell us what your handles are on each of those. Yeah, so my uh, my Instagram handle is Doherty Tax Solutions, D-O-U-G-H-E-R-T-Y Tax Solutions. That's my Instagram on, on uh, Twitter they make you have a shorter handle. So it is just my name, Grant Doherty, but it is at D-O-U Tax Solutions on Twitter. Awesome. And you have a website folks can contact you? Yeah, you can just go to DohertyTaxSolutions.com. You can fill out a, uh, you know, if you want to work with us year round, you can fill out a survey, uh, fill out a consultation request, and, you know, you'll get, uh, you know, notifications on what the next process is to do after that. That's awesome. And we'll put all this in the show notes as well. This has been great, man. You're a stud. You've got it going on, and uh, we appreciate you. Appreciate it, Mark. No, it was a pleasure. To ha- you know, it was a pleasure to hop on here, man. Thanks for having me. You're welcome. Thank you for listening, and don't forget about the tools available to subscribers: the Property Manager Self Assessment Tool, My Property Upgrade Walkthrough List, or the chance to feel like a millionaire for the weekend by checking out one of our own properties in person. It's all available on our website, www.goodendeavorstrshow.com.